Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here and a proud member. Today is February 24th, and you're with another virtual City Club Forum. Thank you so much for being here. As you know, we've been speaking with Cleveland mayoral candidates over the past few months. You can find previous interviews in our archives at cityclub.org. And of course, we're going to continue to do this. Eventually, we'll do debates in this race as well. And today we're talking with another potential candidate, one who is expected to formally launch his campaign later this spring, but I think we can pretty much call him a candidate now. His name is Richard Noth. He's a partner at the law firm Baker Hostetler, where he specializes in governance, commercial litigation, and intellectual property law. Outside of his legal career, he served on the, the Cleveland Community Police Commission, which was set up as part of the consent decree currently governing the division of police inside the city of Cleveland. He's also a former vice chair of the board of the Cleveland Cuyahoga County Port Authority, and he has served on a number of nonprofit boards as well, many of them in education. Quick disclosure here, Dick Noth is a partner at Baker Hostetler, and that firm is a supporter of City Club programming and has been a supporter of the City Club since its founding by former Cleveland Mayor Newton D. Baker, who was one of our, the City Club's founders as well. Nevertheless, we are covering his candidacy in the same way we have covered others. Everything's on the table, including your questions. We've received a number of questions on Twitter already. You can get yours to us with a text to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And you can tweet your questions at the City Club and we'll work them in. Any questions we don't get to, we'll hand off to Dick Noth so he can answer them on our blog if he chooses to, and we hope that he does. Dick Noth, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Thank you, Dan. It's great to have you with us. Um, Dick, uh, the, your service on the Community Police Commission seems to have inspired you to run. Is that an accurate way to describe your candidacy? That played a, played a large role in the decision to undertake this effort. I was on the CPC for uh, a number of years, was co-chair of the group with Dr. Yvonne Connor, and spent uh, incredible time with that group and Dr. Connor literally visiting every neighborhood in the city of Cleveland and sitting down at somewhere between 50 and 60 different meetings with citizens to find out one, what's on their mind, and two, how do we work ourselves through the consent decree, which I think is in its sixth year right now. How's it doing? Um, as we like to say, the jury's out on that. Um, there's been progress uh, in that, that whole uh, process, um, but there's a lot more work to be done. Early on, I think the city believed that it could work its way through the consent decree in four years. Uh, I think we're in year six, just starting year six. Um, and there've been some, there's been progress on some policies, but it's on the execution side that's now being tested. I think the mm -hmm. pandemic has um, made, uh, put some obstacles before us we're now in the execution of the what's referred to as the CPOP plan, which is community policing plan. And that requires a lot of integration of the uh, police force with the community and events one-on-one -on -one and the like. And mm -hmm. as you know, um, we're not wearing masks today because we're on camera. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, there's a lot to be borne out in that process. Dick, um, I, let me be real frank. No one really knows who you are, apart from your partners at Baker and and some some other folks in the business community. If I am out talking to people and I tell them, hey, I'm interviewing Dick Noth. He wants to be mayor. They're like, Dick who? <laughs> oh, you saw that piece in the paper. I always like to start at the bottom and work my way up. Yeah. And yeah. This, this uh, venture started, and I won't go year by year, but it literally started probably almost 38 years ago. Finished law school. Got married, uh, took the bar exam, and got married the next day. And then Patty and I uh, started our venture here in Cleveland. Uh, raised three fantastic kids. Um, miss them. None of them live in Cleveland. Uh, but along this route, we have always been dedicated to civic involvement. You mentioned Newton Baker. He was a driver of civic involvement. Baker Hostetler demands that its partners be involved civically. And I have, and my family has, and we've always encouraged that. And through that process, um, I've had three major commitments. One, you mentioned the Port Authority. 
was on there for about seven and a half years and really got into the depths of financing, creative financing, how government can work, but then also looking at the city and its financial condition and challenges of the city. Um, I then worked with the CPC uh, and did a lot of uh, groundwork there, um, wrote several um, executive summaries of different programs we had proposed that were just literally thrown out by the city. Um, and then maybe most important is my involvement with Boys and Girls Club. Um, I was coming off, it's kind of a funny story, I was coming off a um, major board chairmanship of a healthcare organization that had uh, extraordinary time commitments and happened upon uh, Ron Soder. And if you know Ron, the former uh, executive director of the Boys and Girls Club. He's hard uh, to say no to. He does not say no. So literally we were sitting down and our kids were probably uh, high school, uh, higher elementary school age mm -hmm. and said, hey, I'm thinking about this. And to a person, they said, you have to do this, Dick. They said, Dad, you've been involved in a lot of different organizations, healthcare, arts, education, but never on the street level. You've never worked with kids in the life. Mm -hmm. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And they convinced me that was the right thing to do. And candidly, that's some of the best advice they ever gave me. So mm -hmm. for the last several years, and I've been a board member, financial supporter and all that, but my value to Ron and, and now uh, Jeff Scott, who's taken over for Ron in his retirement, Mm -hmm. is uh, work behind the scenes, help out on day-to-day -day problems, help mm -hmm. organization, help structuring, help kids uh, that are struggling on a variety of levels. All right, we have a limited amount of time, Dick, so I want to dive into some of these, some the most important issues. The city is right now um, doing budget hearings. Um, our city spends roughly a third of its budget on police and public safety. Is that appropriate? Uh, yes. Why? Um, it's appropriate for the expenditure. It doesn't necessarily mean we need more people on the street. I think in that budget, if there's a plan of, what was it, 160 additional recruits coming in. Mm -hmm. um, 80 people come out of the system every year. So mm -hmm. you're doing a net of approximately 80 to 85 people, depending on, on the stats. Mm -hmm. What we need to do and what we haven't done and has not come true with the uh, consent decree is we haven't valued outside input and we need more of that why do we have so many problems and other cities don't if you look at stats that say the city of cleveland has i mean they're they're burned into one of the papers i did uh if we have 23 police per thousand uh, i think it's actually 43 columbus has 23 indianapolis has 19. and why that dynamical dynamic difference and we have all the problems I think we need to use technology more and look at how, how other cities have integrated. We still have an old line military base of how we divide the city into districts mm -hmm. and how we approach things. We've got to change that, change it dramatically. Dick, a lot of uh, the conversation today around funding and budgeting for public safety is um, it can it involves the phrase defund the police. That means a lot of different things to different people. Essentially, though, what it's uh, the the point of it is rethinking. We did a, a great forum about this over the summer, but just sort of opening up your thinking to like what are the things that we ask police to do that they're not actually that good at that other people would be better at. Right. So right. do you do you you've been involved in these conversations um, as on the on the community police commission. But does it get anywhere? I mean, is it possible that we could that we could change how we spend those dollars so that not only are they more effective, but perhaps some of those resources are going to things that would that would be less of a military kind of approach? You hit on one of the, the, the key points that we really need to address in the city just pushes back on this issue. This is now three years ago, and I conducted a major study on what other cities are doing in that um, in that arena. And mm -hmm. defund is a media term. I am not part of that, but we need to shift our focus and how we use our monies. And what other cities are doing, Salt Lake City is a great example because they've done it for several years. They made the decision to integrate uh, trained social workers, MSWs, Mm -hmm. In the police force, not as consultants. There's a the CIT uh, um, a group that mm -hmm. are used as consultants uh, 
on an as-needed basis. 30% of all calls that are, confront the police daily present a mental health issue or drug issue or substance abuse issue. And we need professionals on site in every district, on every shift. That's a dramatic change because you're, you're, approaching, um, you're approaching law enforcement differently. It's not as much law enforcement as working with the people. And it has two great uh, impacts beyond just the professionalism of the social worker. One, it's a very heavily educated group. And two, look at the numbers of graduates with MSWs. 80% are women. We need more women integrated into our force. And I'll take it a step further, and I suggested this, which was rejected wholeheartedly. We have to provide financial incentives for the police force to live in the city again. And the way you do that is we have abatements for all types of new construction. Why not a, 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 an abatement for professional, whether they're firemen, policemen, or, or uh, emergency, emergency workers, that their costs are abated in mm -hmm. some fashion? Let's be creative. Mm -hmm. and because the, the, uh, the documents and the, and the analysis tells you the police force works much better when they live in the community, when they're a part of the community. So let's do everything we can, which is done in other cities, to, mm -hmm. to allow that. Yeah. Um, the the website 538 just released a piece about what cities spend on police misconduct, which is typically over and above their annual operating budget. In the last 11 years, Cleveland spent $28,573,475 in payouts for uh, to resolve police misconduct, lawsuits related to police misconduct. That's an average of nearly $2.6 million per year. It's astounding. Um, and it's no wonder we're in a consent under a consent decree right now. I mean, just looking at the Tamir Rice case and um, the Russell Williams 137 bullets cases, um, that's those are cases that should have never transpired. And if we really adopt practices where we get the community engaged with the police force, which is what's missing, it's really missing, then those numbers will come down dramatically. Already we're showing uh, a reduction, just the use of cameras, which came about as a result of the uh, consent decree. Uh, that's reduced um, both uh, complaints by citizens and injuries of the police officers. Mm -hmm. And it was pushed away for two years. I'm fairly certain that the that since since the payout since the the lawsuit the wrongful death lawsuit uh, regarding Tamir Rice the um, it's only gone up the amount of money that the city is spending has gone up on these the, on these issues the dollars have but at least now with the police cameras there's there's a snapshot of mm -hmm. what's going on out there Dick what I hear what I think I hear you saying is that you say like community engage in, engagement with police. But I don't hear you talking very much about really reforming the people, reforming inside the department and correcting what seems to, objectively speaking, have gone tragically wrong with hiring practices and discipline practices and so forth inside the department. Somebody on Twitter asked really point blank, should, would you fire Chief Williams? Um, I don't want to personalize this, but I will tell you unquestionably the problem we've had is there's not been a change in any leadership. If I were in control, um, first off, if I were the mayor, I don't think the 137 bullets would have happened because we would have had programs in place, training in place. We would have had technology in place that would have monitored what was going on on that given evening. But putting that aside, after that event, and certainly after the Tamir Rice event, there should have been dramatic change at the top. The only thing that hasn't changed is the leadership. And I think that's why they want this, the current leadership wants to keep things moving um, as it has. That has to be changed. And there's a lot of good police officers out there. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of dedicated um, public servants, but they're only as good as they're allowed to be and they can only perform with the technology and equipment they have. We need a dramatic change at the top. I hope that answers your question. 
More or less. Uh, we're speaking with Dick Noth. He wants to be the next mayor of Cleveland. He hasn't formally announced his candidacy yet, but his appearance here will suggest that that's uh, all, all but all uh, that's all but official. Um, Dick Noth, uh, Illinois, just yesterday, uh, the governor of Illinois just signed a law uh, ending the practice of cash bail. Should Cleveland do the same? Uh, that is a complex question. I support that, but I want more information on that. What will be the impact day to day and what's the impact going to be from a the standpoint of the judges? How are they going to respond to that? Um, I, I, I would support um, revamping the entire bail system and the approach. I mean, you end up with a lot of people in jail for minimal crimes that don't have the hundred to five hundred dollars to get themselves out. There's a project happening right now in the city of Cleveland called the Bail Project, which I with which I'm sure you're familiar, or at least I hope so. We interviewed Robin Steinberg, the founder of that project over the summer. I'd encourage you to check that out. That that really would um, point you towards what the impact would be. One of the things that sh that she shared that stuck with me is um, the United States is one of the only you know, industrialized nations, economically developed nations that still does a ca has cash bail as a as a standard practice. The other thing was that of the 700 or so people that where they interceded and paid the bail on on their behalf um over two-thirds i believe of the cases were actually dropped I, in, an interesting thing that we can look at and in, in the pandemic has been terrible on so many fronts but you'll recall that early on and currently now many individuals that were institutionalized have been let out of jail mm-hmm I'm not hearing a lot of you and cry on that front, which parallels right. the fact that maybe for these smaller crimes, there should not be um, Dick, one of the issues that was uh, came before city council and before the city generally um, has to do with a $15 an hour minimum wage. Um, the uh, city council sort of blocked a, a proposal that came from citizens. Where do you, where do you stand on $15 an hour minimum wage? I think, um, Moving the minimum wage north of where it is must happen. We have too many people in the United States, especially in Cleveland, that are living below a poverty level and they're working 40 hours a week, some of them 60 hours a week. The struggle is I think it must be part of the plan that will come out next week from the federal government because what you don't want to do is create an environment where shop owners um, will simply close up and move to Lakewood or Shaker Heights or Solon or wherever, or businesses will move out of the state. It must be a national effort, and, and, but I do support a $15 hour. So you're saying you wouldn't, you, you sort of support it, but wouldn't push for Cleveland to be a leader? I, that, that may be a way around it, is we, we are a leader, we could be a leader, um, and I would support that. So you but would- I think I would impress upon so let me just ask, let me ask this more directly. If there were another citizen referendum seeking to create a $15 minimum wage inside the city of Cleveland as mayor, would you support it? Yes. Okay. Um, the, uh, in the meantime, and that the, a $15 an hour minimum wage inside the city of Cleveland could do something to mitigate the issue at the center of my next question. Cleveland is facing a potential income tax revenue shortfall as a result of the pandemic and the kind of whole work from home thing that's been happening. I'm speaking to you right now from the city club offices, <clears throat> uh, but I've spent less than a third of my work days here over the last, uh, over the last many months. Um, and you are at the Baker Hostetler offices, and I, I can't imagine you've been there every day, every workday of the last many months. But you I live in city of Cleveland, so you'd be, yeah. you'd be paying city city of Cleveland income taxes anyway. Um, what should be done about that? That that is the unanswered problem. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of litigation over that issue. I mm -hmm. think that number may be near two hundred million dollars for the city. Mm -hmm. um, looking back, and then moving forward. I think you have to look at it, not not the payback, but moving forward, I think there's going to be a lot more people that will be working for home from home. Mm -hmm. and, you know, will 80% of the population come back town? I think so. But then you still have 20% that are, are going to be working from home. How do you replace those dollars? 
that's going to be a huge challenge. And how would you replace those dollars? How would you you're going to have to try to bring in new business? You can't just go and and um, and raise the tax. That's not the answer. I think what you do is you create more a more exciting environment in this town that you get people to move into town and not just specifically how would you create specifically though dick how would you create a more exciting environment in this town um i'd finish public square i'd create financial incentives for more people to live downtown um i would support uh you know the the vibrant restaurant and, and entertainment uh scene which has kind of died some of it will come back but it's going to require a lot of support there and you know i'd create a new lakefront that's not going to happen tomorrow but that's you. many people would like to know your your stance on burke lakefront airport that's a question that's been raised a few times well if they look, look google my name they can go back and see the executive summaries i wrote uh six and eight years ago where um this was during the uh, tenure of the Port Authority. A lot of time was studied on the fallacy of keeping that airport there. But I think we have to look at it in a bigger sense. We've got to look at transportation globally, because not only should we close Burke Lakefront Airport immediately, because those dollars wear on uh, Hopkins, I think we have to seriously look at a regional approach to a new airport uh, replacing Hopkins, not the runways. That doesn't need to be replaced. But the concourse is in creating a whole new environment of what welcomes people to our city. All this advertising dollars going into come to Ohio, it's cheaper to live here. It, it's a great environment. But if that's the first place they walk into, they're going to say, this place is backwards. So let's change that. And, and the city of Cleveland cannot uh, afford a new airport. It doesn't do a very good job of running that airport. So let's create a new regional authority that will pay for it and have some type of financial parlay with the city. Who pays for the regional authority? Uh, the regional authority would be structured much like the one in Indiana for Indianapolis, Kansas City, Missouri, and Nashville, Austin, Texas. It's a new taxing authority that would uh, be created by the General Assembly, much like Gateway was established. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's that group with the, which would run it. You're not going to hear this from any other candidate because you're giving up the power. You're giving up the control. And new mayors don't want that. Old mayors don't want that. But I think we have to get very, um, very efficient and very innovative, innovative, or we're never going to have that. You said re, you said new taxing authority. Who pays those taxes? Uh, there, there would be, you know, the. the you're going to always have the runway taxes, landing taxes, landing fees, and all that. Mm -hmm. But it would be borne more by the state of Ohio than uh, the locale. Okay. Um, Dick, uh, a member of city council was indicted yesterday um, and arrested. Um, and the there's not a whole lot the mayor's office can do about who Ward 4 has elected for you know a couple of decades. But... Um, but uh, Ken Johnson is not your councilman right now, is he? That's correct. He is not. He is not. Um, but I, I feel like as, a, as somebody who wants to lead the city of Cleveland, um, I'd like to ask you to comment on that. Yeah. It, first off, it's unfortunate from a, lot of, um, from a lot of perspectives. It's candidly shameful from a lot of perspectives. This individual is alleged to have taken funds from block, federal block funding grants. Those are monies that... Boys and Girls Club and a lot of different organizations rely on for their existence and service to others. The problem here isn't, okay, we're taking a snapshot. These are the allegations. This is the plea or wherever this takes um, the individual uh, defendant. Let's look at what was missing. We didn't audit these numbers. These payments went on for over eight years. And did no one in council even think, wait a minute, why is a council person charging any mileage for driving around the ward? Those, there shouldn't be these expenses. And certainly in a period less than eight years, maybe every two years, we might take a look at the books and see who's signing these checks 
and see what funding goes on. None of that transpired. Where was the city prosecutor's office in this? Did we have to wait till the federal government came in, comes in and, and indicts the individuals? I, 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 I believe some of the credit for uh, unmasking this, uh, this behavior goes to journalists and local media who've been after this story for a number of years. Um, but okay. uh, I, I think if I can interrupt Dan, because it raises a very important point. And, and mm -hmm. you and I have spoken on different occasions and, and uh, I've got three elements, transparency, responsiveness, and innovation. You've heard about innovation a little bit, but transparency is just not there in the city of Cleveland. And, uh, you know, last night they re released a study that a 268 page study that was done over the waste department. At, I'm reading it at 11 o'clock last night. There's no, everything's hidden. What happened here uh, with the councilman, it was hidden. And you're right. It was the media that brought that out. Media has long complained about a lack of transparency at City Hall, the slow walking of, um, of you know, public records requests and so forth. Um, what, would you I learned, what I learned from Dr. Yvonne Connor, my, the co-chair on the CPC, uh, and this is coming from a businessman's point of view maybe this doesn't sound like a businessman, but transparency leads to trust and that's what's mm -hmm. missing. And that's what some of the failure of the CPC has been and of the consent decree is if you don't open the books, if you don't open the arms to your citizenry, there's not going to be that trust. Dick, um, I, you know, you talk about a businessman's point of view, um, but you've never managed uh, a large, uh, you've never been an executive. Right. You've 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 been on boards. You've served on boards in a volunteer capacity or or, or as a public employee on the Cuyahoga County uh, Port Authority Board. Um, but like but you do you have any real executive experience? Uh, actually, yeah, I do. I uh, this may predate you. I've been around for a while, but I ran up a, a very large office for a very large law firm of several hundred attorneys and was responsible for. So managing, OK, so managing partner at the at, at Baker Hostetler. Uh, uh, the old Ardern Haddon. Oh, the old Ardern before. Okay, I understand. Okay, well, that's and, fair. And that Thank required me. I mean, the budgets were 80 to 100 million dollars. Yeah. I had to do budgets every year. I had to do spreadsheets. I had to hire people. I had to recruit people. I had to fire people um, and move that ball forward in mm -hmm. practice law. And then in the practice, my legal practice has been very involved um, on many fronts, but I've helped build brand new entities that are now fortune 500 companies and was mm -hmm. at the forefront of that. So I've seen what needs to be done from a management standpoint mm -hmm. to make, to bring success, uh, to innovative thought. Um, how's fundraising going, Dick? It's going, it's going, that might be the biggest challenge. I was advised, uh, by some, um, uh, senior folks who've been through this process that suggested, don't even pick up a phone until the national election is done uh -huh. and the new president is sworn in. And that was the best advice I had. And uh -huh. we're in the process of gaining commitments. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate I can self-fund a fair amount. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's a challenge because sure. there's a lot of people out there looking for the same dollar. Well, there's I mean, you have uh, the last person we interviewed, Justin Bibb. Uh, in in his candidacy um, has raised around a quarter of a million dollars already, I believe. Um, Dick, one of the the job of government is essentially to deliver the goods, right? That that they take in revenues that are we all put money into a kitty so that roads can get paved, businesses can get can pull permits so they can do the expansion they need, so that uh, people stay safe. Uh, broadly speaking, is the city of Cleveland delivering the goods? Uh, no, on many fronts. We've talked about the airport. Mm -hmm. And, and we talked about public safety. We talked about public safety. I mentioned this this um, report that just came out last night. Um, a, a very revealing fact in that report, buried pretty deep into 268 pages, is on the recyclable issue. We haven't been recycling for years or oh, months yeah, or whatever it is. And yeah, we haven't because 68% of the goods that are put in the trash cans are, um, contaminate the recyclable waste. That's an education thing. Individuals have to be uh, moved through the process. Um, does the trash get picked up uh, weekly? Yeah, there's a lot of good public servants out there that do it. Uh, but 
if you have to sit on a phone for hours to get through, that's not responsive. Dick, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of other questions, and there's many questions coming in. If you have a question for Dick Noth, text it to three three zero five four one five seven nine four. Tweet it at the City Club. We'll work it in. Um, before we get to uh, viewer questions, what are you going to do as a white man to address systemic racism and the racial inequities that have plagued our cities for generations, plagued our city and our communities for generations? The challenge for a white man may be different from perception, but the challenge remains whether you're a white man or a black man. The systemic racism that has beholden the United States and our community uh, needs to be addressed. And, and I think we take big steps and we take little steps. Um, what better than a white man comes out and says, I support changes in the police department that's, that are better informed and permit wider breadth of social justice. I think I'm actually in the best position to do that. Do you support Black Lives Matter? Yes. In fact, one of the things I, I uh, uh, a couple points, you probably have driven by my house. I may be the only candidate that puts a, puts a, a Black Lives Matter flag out on a street that has 20,000 cars driving by it every day. Um, I, I've not only met, but I have sat with um, the heads of Black Lives Matter and talked to them. How do we change things? And I learned from them. I learned from them that trust is a huge Let me interrupt you here for a second, though. I I would like to ask you to just three very specific things you would do to address structural racism or systemic racism to make our community a more equitable place where people, where all people, but in particular black and brown people, have more access to economic opportunity and educational opportunity and health opportunity. Uh, Well, we talked about a little bit um, on the justice side. I would change the leadership of the Cleveland Police Department. Uh, there's not going to be any more progress because there's not trust. And that leadership needs to change and change pretty close to day one. And I think that will help open the door to things. I think looking at uh, getting behind, changing the minimum wage will assist that. And one area I think we need to really look at is um, the digital divide. Um, the Boys and Girls Club came up with a program so that its members, we're talking to thousands, thousands of kids, were able to be involved in the educational process while the schools were closed and still re- some remain closed. Um, and I was astounded at the, um, basically the, the need on that front. And I think if we can address that dramatically, that will, the kids at least, will be moving forward. And I, and those, I think those are three solid programs that I would work on from day one. Dick, uh, moving to now to questions from our viewers. And again, if you have a question for Dick Noth, he wants to be mayor of the city of Cleveland, text your question to 330-541-5794 or tweet it at the city club. We'll work it in. Um, we asked a previous mayoral candidate uh, about p- potential resistance from public employees at City Hall to a change in leadership based on that been here, be here mentality. What will you do to get more buy-in from city staffers to promote changes in how City Hall operates and services are delivered to citizens? Um, that's, that's an issue that will take time. You point out when we started this today, people don't know me. When people get to know me, they know I like to bring the work environment to a new level. A lot of it is being part of those individuals and working alongside of them. There's gonna have to be a lot of that. Um, We have to change the mentality. Some of that will come with changes of the leadership um, of the different departments. That's all. 
Oh, I thought I was waiting for. I was looking. I thought. I thought you were going to have another question. Um, here's a question about the West Side Market. I probably don't have to. I think our, our viewers and and you know quite enough about what's going on with the West Side Market, but um, it's really struggling. And there's a big debate over whether the city should be running it or whether it should be turned over to a nonprofit. Well, under my leadership, there will be no debate. The city of Cleveland should not be running a grocery store. If that was Heinen's or any other local grocer, it would be closed down. It's filthy. It's unhealthy. There are problems with water. There are problems with electricity. Um, it's a disaster. So let's look quickly at city of Milwaukee. Um, has a wonderful, very similar uh, facility for a very similar environment and population. It's not run by the city, it's run by a third party. When you look at city of New York where they've rebuilt different areas, they've uh, brought in a third party to run that. We, we should do that. We shouldn't spend $180,000 studying it. You, you know, it was just reported that in an election year, now we have all these consultants coming in and studying things uh, so people get free answers. We don't need to spend $180,000 to come to the conclusion. The city of Cleveland should not be uh, running a grocery store. Another question for you, Dick, from a viewer. Like it or not, we are in the age of social media. Um, you referenced looking up your executive summaries online. They don't come up with a quick Google search. Like people are, this is in real time right now, Dick. As you, you, you asked, they respond. Um, for someone interested in running for mayor, how can voters actually trust you and research you with virtually zero online presence? Why aren't you on Twitter? Where's your website? Are you actually serious about running? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, I'm working with uh, a consultant on social media. I'll be honest with you. I'm an old school guy. Um, and I have the luxury of working at Baker Hostetler, which provides all the technology and all the background and somebody to run my computer. In meeting with the uh, technology consultant just last week, even, uh, the one thing they were glad to hear is I haven't been on Twitter. And so they don't have to go back and try to erase or re-explain something that happened 10 years ago. Um, it is suggested, and I believe this, that within a two-month period, you can catch up to ground zero on social media. And the plan is to unleash all that this spring on all fronts. Okay. Isn't it, isn't it pleasant not to have tweets from 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning from the White House anymore? It's kind of enjoyable. Well, but to your point, there, that, that, is, that is a valid point that's made. It's, uh, a lot of people don't have my history. And that's got to get out there and, and that will happen. Well, it's not just that. I mean, it's not just your history, Dick. I mean, like people, if you want to lead, you want to be in touch with people. You want to engage with them. You want to hear what they're thinking. Um, some people might see your lack of social media presence as analogous to, say, the city council's lack of public comment period. Yeah, I, could, I understand that perception and that perception will change. Okay. Um, and you can hold my, uh, you can hold me to that. Okay. Well, we, we I, I'm sure I won't have to. I'm sure other people will, but we're happy to hold you to it. Um, the mayor of Cleveland appoints four members to the board of the Cle Greater Cleveland RTA, the largest set of appointments. 25% of Cleveland residents do not have an automobile or any kind of motorized vehicle. What would you look for in your appointees to that board? And what is your vision for public transit in Cleveland? Um, again, another very dynamic question and a good one. Um, we need to change dramatically how we approach public transportation because public transportation needs are changing dramatically. As more and more young individuals become professionals and get into the, the um, working environment, they don't want to have the capital expense of a car. Those days are over. I look at my own kids. They don't want to have that expense. So you have to change how uh, public transportation responds to that need. And it's not giant buses in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, those days are, are, are moving away from us. I think we need to look at uh, a, a public system that would almost be 
along the lines of an Uber model, where the demand is there, and uh, there's there's an expense that has to be borne there, um, and a sharing of that expense. But I think we have to look at how we're proceeding on that front. We are also you, have to look are at you, how wait, we're- Wait, 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 hold on. Are you, ex- are you suggesting that after we've spent, as a community and, uh, and, and a public, Two hundred million dollars to create the health, the uh, Euclid corridor and the the um, the bus rapid transit that runs along there, plus the other tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars we've spent on other bits of our of our public infrastructure, our public transit infrastructure, the rapid trains for decades, as well as the big buses that you speak of. Um, that after that we should we should scrap that and move to uh, like Uber voucher. I didn't su- suggest scrapping it. Okay. The, the red line is always going to be there. But when I flew to New York to visit our new granddaughter in November, I took the red line there and took the red line back. There were three people on the train. And let's see if there's a, a better future looking way to operate the red line. You know, do we need a um, line that goes by the stadium? The RTA wanted to dump that line a few years ago. And there's been no progress on that. the waterfront right. line, right? The waterfront. Well, if you get to do your waterfront development, you're gonna you're gonna wish it was there. That's that. You've got to be forward thinking. So you, that's why you don't necessarily just dump it automatically. But you have to look at. Well, Dick, this is a serious. Hold on a second. This is really serious because the budget the, at the state of Ohio right now, um, the governor Dewine wanted to slash is has asked to slash public transit funding in, from seventy million to seven million. That's now we amazing. already at 70 million, we're still ranked somewhere around the 48th worst state for public funding of public transit. Um, and this would, I, I have to imagine this would make us the worst funded state for public I, funding. I would think so. Um, way to ch- change that. Can we rely on state funding for that? Um, at least for this next budget period. I don't know that we will. What I kind of conversations, if you were mayor right now, what kind of conversations would you be having with Governor DeWine? He's notoriously accessible. Uh, oh, I would sit down with the governor and say, not only this number is bad, but there's several other numbers that we really need to look at. But I would probably be focusing more on the federal government. And uh, to the extent we are, we are going to develop innovative programming, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the federal government that we're going to have to look to to help us get there with various federal programs. I mean, one point in time, I think I talked to you about um, covering up the railroad and the highway. That's all federal money, it's not state money. And there are programs that have been used by numbers of cities that have changed the face of their city through um, the rail program. That's state, that's federal money. Well, similar to appointments to the RTA board, uh, the city of Cleveland has some significant appointments to the board of the Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, affectionately known as NOACA. Um, and uh, NOACA has, uh, you know, is the essentially the funnel through which um, federal transportation dollars find their way into Northeast Ohio. Um, how would you use that, the leverage in, at that agency that's, I mean, I'm not going to tell you X, Y, and Z. Here's the people I would nominate to that board. But in terms of personalities, I would look to very similar, similarly strong personalities that will sit at, in the, the first seat at the table and get our point across. We are still the economic driver of the region. And I don't think where our voice is necessarily heard as it should be, but clearly there'll be strong personalities mm-hmm. sitting at that table. The two largest sectors in the economy in Cleveland um, are uh, healthcare, manufacturing. As mayor, what would you do to, uh, to grow those two sectors? Um, manufacturing is probably the most challenging because Manufacturing today is not what it is or what it was in the 70s and 80s. You put a lot of people in place. And I would be lying to you and, and your your um, folks here on, on TV 
if I said, I'm going to bring in a bunch of manufacturing jobs. That's a possibility. Um, it's more of bringing in manufacturing in certain arenas, very focused, um, tool and die, support manufacturing. Opening a new plant of Ford in this city is not going to happen, I'll tell you that. On the healthcare side, though, that's an area that we can really boom. Um, we've made progress. Um, I'm literally looking over University Circle and two of the finest hospitals and the finest medical school, combined medical school in the world. And we need to provide all of those institutions with deliverables. And I'll give you an example where we may have failed. The clinic several years ago before they built the new entrance and all that wanted to move Euclid Avenue and the city didn't support it. It wouldn't support it. We have to do everything we can to support further development and enhancement of that and not just the clinic, but that entire environment and maybe promote better um, enhancements of, you know, the, the various nursing schools in the area that might bring in more and more students from around the world that we're starting that, but I'd like to enhance those programs uh, on that front. City Hall leadership, this is another question uh, from our viewers. City Hall leadership has been plagued for years by a culture of apathy and inaction. What would you do as mayor to hire better leaders and get rid of, or would you be willing to replace city leaders, including chiefs and directors and middle management who have resisted innovative change? I, I think that, um, every one of those positions would be um, subject to review and change. Um, I think we haven't done enough, a, a good job of supporting younger individuals that want to come in and be public servants. Uh, I think the reputation is very tarnished there. I mean, the, the office, and I'm, I'm not picking on individuals here, not, don't take it this way, but at one point in time in the 70s and even early 80s, having experience with the city law department was a jewel. That was a gem on your resume. That's not the case anymore. So just using that as an example, let's bring in some talent, people that want to work with talented people. And that's been the key to my success. Uh, make no mistake, I've had great results for clients for over 35 years. It's in large part driven by the people that I've hired and associated with, brilliant people, diverse people, great ideas, and I've listened to their ideas. And that's what we need to do, continue to bring in those types of individuals that will drive this. And I, I can do that. Would you fire people? Five years. I'm sorry? You'd be willing to fire people? Um, I've had the unfortunate experience where I've had to fire many, many people along this route. And I have, uh, that's, it, you do it with a little compassion. Um, and you do it in a justified way. But yes, uh, and it's going to take that. Dick, this is sort of a random question, but why do we still have coin-operated parking meters in the city of Cleveland? <laughs> that is a great question, and I'm laughing only because Patty and I were in New York, and uh, it was Thanksgiving, or maybe it was Valentine's Day, visiting our granddaughter. And I'm like, wait a minute, they don't have uh, coin machines. No. Um, and some people have suggested it's done so we can have people walking around taking the coins out. It's talk to a young person like, who carries coins? After this pandemic, there's not going to be any change. I mean, that's a simple example of we, we haven't for decades thought on an innovative level. Let's get in front of it. You know what you also don't see again out there are charging stations for electric cars. None, not one. There's not one. You can go online and check for charging stations, which is something I do. And there aren't any. Do you own an electric car? Uh, yes, I do. So that brings us to our next question. In what ways will you prioritize sustainability, clean energy, and climate justice to ensure Cleveland is doing its part to curb climate change and taking care of vulnerable populations, protect the rights of future generations, and make sure that we don't get left behind as the economy shifts? 
Um, well, let's make no mistakes. We're well behind already before the economy shifts. But I think the issues you raised have to be front of mind in every decision. And why don't we take our current circumstance and sit down with leadership of technology companies, name it, Google, Facebook, whoever, Microsoft, and say, let's make Cleveland the experiment in eliminating the digital divide. We'll give you access to our people, our information, our, our, uh, our details, and take that as a leaping point to move this city forward. Mm-hmm. That will benefit everybody. What's the biggest complaint of the 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old Cleveland resident? Why am I paying $190 a month for my cable? As we address the digital divide, it's not only why don't people have access to the Internet. It's why do people have to spend so much money on these things? Let's look at these dynamically and see if we can be a leader on that front. I think we can. Cleveland is the poorest big city in the country. This is a question that came up, I think, almost in the exact same wording in our last interview with Justin Bibb. Our economic development strategy has meant little accountability to the wealthy with little regard for the average person in Cleveland. How do we assure that there will be affordable housing, that there will be community benefit agreements that work? Community land trusts, what would you suggest? What would you implement? I I think um, as a starting point, Um, I would look at the lakefront and we're sitting on the most valuable asset between New York City and Chicago. That asset is Burke Lakefront, 426 acres of usable property. And there's debates back and forth. And the business community, by and large, doesn't want to change because they like having the access of a jet. But that doesn't help the people in the neighborhood. So I met a number of years ago with um, financial groups in New York to Mm -hmm. see if it was realistic to develop it, to create a development plan for that site. Some will be developed, some will be total public access, um, and some will just be out there because it's such a big plot. So we just we just went through this, that. Dick. We've we've gone through lakefront plan after lakefront plan after lakefront plan, and the last one, uh, Dick Pace's group, Cumberland Development, was trying to develop the space in between East Ninth Street and uh, and the stadium and fifty yard line at the stadium, essentially, and it had all sorts of possibilities. He built one building, and that was it. And it's a lovely lucky. building with a lovely restaurant and and some great apartments, and that's it. They were thinking small. What has to happen is you can't say, I'm just going to close Burke and develop that. There needs to be an access way from the downtown and the community to that facility once known as Burke Lakefront. And that's where the restoration of the rail line uh, grant fund comes in. And then once you create that, much like they did uh, in New York with the, the Chelsea area and the recreation over the rail yards there, it's the same fund. And it takes time, but you create basically a new neighborhood. You then monetize. But that was Dick. Dick, I'm sorry, but that was Dick Pace's plan. He wanted to create a new neighborhood. I remember sitting with him, and it was going to be like hundreds and hundreds of of new build, new properties, new homes with a school. He was going to put a school, a neighborhood school, in the middle of it, and. And it and he had the development rights. The port, you know, the port authority was ready right. to like transfer ownership of those of of those those huge warehouses that sit to the north of the stadium. That couldn't be done on land that is ready to go. You're talking about a, an airport that has to be shut down. So I guess I'm just pushing back to say like, sure, sounds great, but is it feasible? And isn't there more low hanging fruit that we should be getting after? Oh, there's low hanging fruit, but if you really want to make a change. You go after the biggest grapefruit you can find at the top of the tree. Invest in that. Uh And think of it 20 years ago, this same conversation occurred in Boston before they reconfigured the entire city. Well, ah, we just lost Dick, Dick Noth, and I have no idea why, unless it's a cue to me. Wait, there he is. Okay, sorry. Dick, oh, you didn't like lost you for a second. You got super excited. No. Um, Boston, big Boston, dig. Go. 
it was the big dig. It yeah. literally did the same thing we're looking at doing. And it changed the entire posture of the city. It created new uh, uh, economics because they were able to build right over what used to be a highway divide. And that's what we're looking at. You have to start. We have to think that way. Yes. Do we need immediate solutions and some immediate measures uh, to put more funding into neighborhoods? Agreed. Maybe we just take some money from council that's obviously being misspent and put that into the city. Dick, you raised the idea of tax abatements as a way to lure and incentivize um, public safety officers back to the city of Cleveland. Uh, we have a, um, a question. Let's talk about the uneven and unjust application of providing tax abatement to developers in areas that no longer need them, which gentrifies those neighborhoods while discouraging development in places that need more. Other cities have used tax abatements as a way to uh, correct unjust redlining practices of the past, providing tax abatements to long-term residents of formerly redlined neighborhoods. That's a huge economic policy in your toolbox, right? How would you yes. deploy that to encourage development, economic development and equity? That, that's a huge challenge. And of course I support that and favor it. But I think we have to look at it not only from the, the abatements we've looked at principally in the last 10 years have been abatements for new development. I think we have to look at abatements for individuals creating a better environment in their neighborhood, re, um, re, refurbishing homes and that type of thing. Not every house has to be torn down, but I think if we're going to try to address the issue you, you raise or the, the caller raises, that we have to look at it not just for new builds, but abatement and creative financing for uh, renovations and rebuilding neighborhoods. Final question. It's a bit of a softball for you. Um, how will my life, not mine personally, but the, the viewers, how will the citizen's life, Cleveland citizen's life, be better four years from now if you're elected mayor? At the very least, I think it's a lot of the programs we're talking about will take years to, uh, to come about. But at the very least, you'll be a resident of a city or region where government is finally transparent and you can be proud of, that you can be part of, that's responsive to what you want and part of a creative environment. And that's what we need. We need, you know, the big dig changed the face of Boston and it was a spark. We need more than a spark, but we, want, we need people to be proud of where they live and who their leadership is. That's a pretty big change. Yeah. Dick, I want to ask you, as we wrap up, this is a moment in time when it's, you know, one of the challenges of Joe Biden's candidacy was his age. Um, and this is a moment in time when you hear, and I hear a lot, that Clevelanders are looking for a ne the next generation of leadership. And to be frank, you're part of Frank Jackson's generation. Um, I'm a little younger, but that's that's a fair statement. And so, so, so and, and, and honestly, I mean, you're at a point in your career where you don't need this, right? Like this is you're asking for like the toughest job in, in Ohio. A lot like, of people why? suggest that I don't need this. I owe it to the city. Um, we raised an unbelievable family and have been gifted on a lot of fronts and I've had a great deal of success. This is not a stepping stone to another <laughs> position, believe me. Um, but I have a lot to give back and I'm in a position where I can deliver either through my connections, my know-how, bringing new people in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm not 40 years old, but mm -hmm. you know what? You're not gonna have to put up with me for 16 years. Um, and I think that's a positive. I think we have to do a better job of grooming people along the way. And I think that my background and history um, and gray hair and missing hair um, is a very <laughs> <Now>. good positive. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to. Oh, no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right, Dick Noth. 
ladies and gentlemen. He wants to be the mayor of the city of Cleveland. He hasn't formally announced because he just hasn't formally announced yet, but he promises us that in the next few months, or in the next, I predict in the next two months, and maybe sooner as a result of this conversation, he will not only have a formal announcement, but a website where you can, where you can research him and some social media properties where you can engage with him. Dick No, thank you so much for hey, your time. Can I do a shout out to all the kids at Boys and Girls Club? They're watching and those kids are great. And while well, I want everybody to support me, if somebody's looking for something to support, support that Boys and Girls Club. They're a great group. Dick, thank Thanks, you very much. And thank you for joining us for our forum today with Dick Noth. He's a partner at Baker Hostetler, as I said earlier. You know, we're going to continue to feature these conversations with people who hope to be the next mayor of the city of Cleveland. On March 10th at noon, we'll be talking with candidate Ross DeBello. Hope you'll join us for that. All of our City Club forums, these virtual forums we've been presenting, are presented for free each week and each time, thanks to generous support from Bank of America, Key Bank, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. You can join them in supporting the City Club's mission by making a contribution online or joining us as a member at cityclub.org. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong, stay healthy. Please wear a mask, keep your distance, wash your hands, get your vaccine when it's your turn, please. And we'll see you soon. This forum is adjourned.